0: Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, my fine friends. Welcome to the album rap episode of season eight of the Tom Petty Project Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Kevin Brown. Um, this is the weekly podcast that digs into the entire Tom Petty catalogue, song by song, album by album, and includes conversations with musicians, fans, and people connected with Tom along the way. So, my co-host for today's episode, as always, is John Paulson. This is our eighth album rap, John, already halfway.
1: It's flying by, but this is the album when like we started talking about doing this, and you agreed to have me on, which I thank you again for doing this. It's been really fun digging into these old albums again. But this is the one that I was looking forward to the most because this is the album that I that made me a Tom Petty fan. This is the one that really got me into his music, and then got me digging into his old music and stuff. So this is a great one to talk about. What a what a what an album this is! I mean,
0: it's just one of the all time greats, right? It, it, you put. I mean, if you think about eighties, I mid mean, it is late eighties. you think about eighties rock albums. This is one of the first ones that comes to mind. But I believe that you are going to see a couple of the heartbreakers fairly soon. And I'm wearing, I'm wearing the T-shirt to sort of honor your uh, upcoming gig. You're going to see Mike.
1: Yeah, Mike. Uh, the other day, uh, posted on his Instagram. This is how I found about Out about it. I knew he was. I knew they were playing. Uh, Mike Campbell and the Dirty Knobs were playing at the Bellwether, which is a, a great new venue in LA. Um, but he, he, uh, posted on his Instagram, you know, you know, this, this is, it was, it was the anniversary of the day after the anniversary of Tom's death, uh, which was Monday, I believe. And he posted that they were going to do a, a special show, uh, for that gig on October 20th, which is also Tom's birthday. Yeah. And they're going to do a set of their music, the dirty knobs, and they're going to do a set of Tom Petty and heartbreakers, uh, music and apparently, um, Steve Ferroni's, been playing drums for the dirty knobs on this tour so he'll be there as well so two of the heartbreakers will be playing at least i'm hoping there'll be some special guests it'd be pretty cool to bring yeah. some people out and sing some songs but uh yeah so as soon as that broke that news broke i went out and bought a couple tickets to make sure i'm there um yeah not sure exactly who's gonna go with me yet uh my wife's my wife's gotta <laughs> go to a football game at her high school to supervise so we'll see how how that all works out but um really excited to to see mike again he's one of my favorite if not my favorite rock guitarist so uh excellent to, to have them celebrating tom's music on his birthday
0: yeah it'd be great to see ben mont showed up here just see if we come and sit in on a couple oh, yeah. songs or something it'd be super cool. but i mean they did they played the you know the um formid. they came out and it was it well it was the dirty knobs complete and then ben mont came out so that must have been such a rush eh Like there's sort of, it's back to that sort of, you know, 86, 85, 86 time when they were touring with Dylan and sort of, I'm sure all the sort of the musical flashbacks would have been, uh, would have been fantastic for those guys.
1: Yeah, I think, I don't know, it was a year or two ago, I tweeted out, you know, Stevie Nicks and the Heartbreakers for a a tour. Yeah. Uh, Celebrate Tom's music, play a few Stevie songs, who says no. Like, I think yeah. it would be great. I don't know how the Heartbreakers would feel about it. I don't know how Stevie would feel about it, but that tour would do really well, and I think people would love to come out and hear Tom's music again, um, sung by one of you know the little sister of the band.
0: Yeah, well, I think one at some point we should do a special episode because I think that putting together a you know so when they did the Freddie Mercury tribute and they had everyone come out and I think it'd be fun to sit down and put together you know uh, say you have to you pick ten artists and they're gonna do a three song set list or two song and then they come out and they do you know the heartbreakers do 20 songs well which artists come and do which songs that'll be a lot of fun to do too
1: yeah it'd be kind of like the band uh last waltz uh yeah that'd be be pretty cool
0: okay so yeah full moon fever or as it was originally planned to be called songs from the garage i say garage i'm still i've slipped into garage now and i have to force myself to say garage so
1: that's one of those interesting words that are pronounced differently, uh, over the UK. Uh, yeah. this is a phenomenal album. I, you know, I learned a lot digging into it and listening to the, to your podcast about it. Um, and I, the mythology behind the album. Yeah. There's so much there. Like you just comparing it to maybe some of other, the other heartbreaker records where we have that little point in time. They did their recordings. They have some B sides and they put out their album, they toured, et cetera. This is like, this goes back to George Harrison with cloud nine uh, Jeff Lynn slips Tom a tape sounds great. Yeah. He wants to work with Jeff Lynn. They also uh, get on the the George Harrison B side handle with care. Uh, I believe it was handled with care and yeah. he got all these other guys to to sing on it. and That turned into the Wilburys cause it was too good of a song uh, to just be a B side. And that turns into a whole album and turns into two albums uh, the Roy Orbison mystery girl sessions. Yeah. Uh, Tom co-wrote, you got it, which is a great song. You can totally hear along with Jeff Lynn, just the whole, uh, full moon fever sound sort of starting there. Yeah. They also, uh, wrote, co-wrote, uh, California blue, which is another, another good song. And I just want to mention that, uh, I, I realized today that Bono, uh, Produced a song, she's a mystery to me on that album. Yeah, written by Bono on the Edge, and I didn't realize that. That's a really good track as well, so people should listen to that. But there's I think I'm going to put a playlist together of all this stuff that was kind of swirling around. Yeah, uh, before Full Moon Fever, and then add Full Moon Fevers to it because it's just such a. You can see, you can hear it all coming together, and that's what I meant about the mythology. It's like these random meetings uh you know seeing jeff lynn on the on the road and deciding to start working together and then george yeah. harrison's around and they turns into this whole band and and that turns into full moon fever and rick rubin on the on the documentary summed it up for me like this is basically my experience with it this was the record that made him a tom petty fanatic he probably listened to the album a thousand times <laughs> over the next year or two and that was basically me i I uh I don't I believe it was a CD uh, I might have had it on an album uh, LP as well but every night before bed I would put it on and just kind of fall asleep to it so I, I listened to this thing over and over and over yeah. again just love love the sound
0: didn't Ruben say that this was the only tape he had in his car for like literally months I think that was one of the comments he made right so he just listened to it over and over and over and you think about that though too like it's different for you know if we're us fans us us normal people but when you got this Rick Rubin at that point is a producer. And he's, he's got his own label and everything. So if he's listened to this album over and over and over again, you got to think there's something in there. And I wonder, I was too wonder, about, and we'll talk about this maybe a little bit when we talk about production, because, you know, not everyone loves Jeff, Lynn, Jeff Lynn's production and Rick Rubin's production style is very, very different. It'd be interesting to ask him what he thinks of the production style on this, because, you know, we talked a little bit offline about Mary Jane's Last Dance, which I'm sure will come up at some point. Um, if you think about if that, if Mary Jane's Last Dance had this production aesthetic, it'd be a really different song.
1: It could be. Uh, and one of the things that Tom said on the documentary that was interesting was that he said that Full Moon Fever didn't sound like anything that the Heartbreakers were doing. And I, the only thing I would say to that is Running Down a Dream sounds to me like a Heartbreaker song. So that's the one thing. But there is there is a Jeff Lynne element to that as well. Yeah. But I think that could that was a hard rocking it could have been a heart, on a heartbreaker's record, in my opinion. But the rest of it, I mean, it's a lot of acoustic car, jangly acoustic guitars, the, the backing vocals with Jeff Lynn, yeah, I mean, amazing uh, amazing sound that was pretty consistent throughout the entire entire album.
0: I hear what you're saying, I mean, I think that running down a dream sounds like a heartbreaker's song mainly because of that riff and because of that solo. And we're going to talk about that song, but otherwise I don't think it does because the production of it is so full moon fever, Jeff Lynn. And if you, I, do you think that Stan Lynch would have played that drum part? I don't, I think there would have been a lot more in that drum part. I think it would sound a lot. I mean, you get Ben Mont on the organ, you know what I mean? So I, I can I know exactly what you're saying because it is a banger. It's not, Jesus, well, run down a dream. Come on. um. But I don't know. I don't know. Oh. I
1: don't know. I would say maybe I I could I consider it a Heartbreakers record because I I heard the Heartbreakers play it every time yeah. I went to see them play, <laughs> yeah. so maybe that maybe that was why.
0: Okay, well let's let's get into some songs then. Sure. Um, I think this is even though we'll sort of talk about you know, and I mean, maybe we'll talk about how I rank the songs and you can agree or disagree and, and tell me where I am wrong. I think it's even if even if not every song on an album is a ten out of ten, this is a ten out of ten album because just everything about it works. We've resequenced it. And we've nitpicked here and there because that's what we do in, the, in this podcast. But, man, just as a piece of work, I, it stands up now as well as it did back then. When you listen through again and you start listening to these songs again, it's like, dear God, this is good. So Free Falling, we kick off side one with Free Falling. I, you know, a song that was written, a lyric that was written at least, with Tom just messing around, trying to make Jeff Lynne laugh. And he came up with that little progression on that crappy little keyboard that Bugs had bought is, is Rhodey, and he said, why the hell have you bought this thing? We're never going to use this. Well, Free Falling comes out of it. Incredible.
1: Yeah, if you write one song with it, it's worth it's worth the price <laughs> yeah. of the of the instrument, right? Uh, you you hear the opening chords to this, and you're like, this is 1989 or 88 when this is recorded, and you're like, how did this chord progression last <laughs> this long without being used on another song by another artist? I mean, this, we're talking about 30, 40 years of rock and roll at this point, And yeah. maybe one of the last you know, corporate amazing chord progressions that uh, was never used, you know, to that point, like, yeah. you know, one of the last original ones, um, amazing anthem. One of my favorite, if not my favorite Tom Petty song, peaked at seven on the hot 100, number one on the rock chart. You know, I, I wanted to ask you, why did it only peak at 59 in the UK? Kevin, Just, they- I- <laughs> What what is going on? They were like the UK though was on Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers early. They they broke there. Yeah. But then Free Fall and they don't they don't like that at all? Is it Jeff Lynn? What's going on?
0: I think well the UK loves Jeff Lynn, so it definitely yeah. can't be that. Um I think one thing is that Tom didn't really tour the UK a lot. Um, so I don't think he was in the public consciousness that way. And you didn't hear a lot of Tom Petty on the right red- I mean, of course, this was on M T V, so that's where you heard it, but I- don't remember this song being on the radio a ton. Maybe it's just a bit too American for English ears. Because if you know eighty nine, that's really kind of you're in Stone Roses. It's just before grunge. It's that sort of British indie thing. This song's a long way away from that, right? So, I'd, for sure. I, but I mean, but I've no answer other than the fact that British people clearly have no musical taste. That's the only thing, <laughs> the only defense I can offer.
1: <laughs> uh, it's his most streamed song, six hundred fourteen million. I always like to look at this. Nearly doubled up the next highest that's song. Incredible. Uh, the whole song is perfect. I I think my favorite parts, obviously, the the opening uh, r- you know, riff or chord progression is fantastic. But I really like the part where he's like, I'm gonna glide down over Mulholland and there's like military drums. Yeah, this kind name. of yeah. going there. That's great at the two thirty two mark, and then the there's a guitar breakdown at three nineteen that that uh, I believe Mike plays. Yeah, um, which is which is excellent as well. I mean, those are the highlights of a just a fantastic 10 out of 10 song.
0: And we're going to talk about this lots on this album, right? The production on this, the way that, you know, Jeff Lynn's come in after Let Me Up, I've Had Enough, and sort of refocused Tom in terms of writing songs. Because Jeff Lynn famously doesn't really, when he's recording an album, doesn't really care about the band. So his focus is the song needs to be as perfect as we can make it. and Which is why even a song that sounds as simple as Free Falling." There's three guitar parts in it, and there's little there's little changes that you don't necessarily quote unquote need in there, but they give the song such a richness. Like you said, that little snare thing in the middle. I don't know that anyone else would have put that in other than Jeff Lynn suggesting it and Phil Jones playing it. And the little, you know, the guitar solo is not a guitar solo, it's just a repetition of the of the that um, intro progression. So again, just it's so simple, but it's so Densely sort of layered that you don't notice it. It's so clever.
1: Yeah, when you're sitting there listening intently to the guitars, like as you yeah. do for your podcast, it's you really notice a lot of extra stuff that you don't really listen to if you're just kind of listening to it casually. Or yeah. the, way, the way I was listening to it at age, uh, you know, age 16 when it came out.
0: Do you? So you said like it is one of, if not your favorite Petty song. I would say that I bet that's not necessarily the case for the hardcore fans because you know, ten the songs that you hear a lot you tend not to listen to as much, you know, if it's not on, if it's on your mixtape, whatever. But I think this is one of those that whenever free falling comes on, I would, I, it would never enter my mind to go, oh, God, I don't want to listen to this right now. Like if it comes on TV or if I'm in a dentist office or something, it's always a welcome sound coming through coming over the airways because it's just perfect. Like I said, it's a perfect
1: pop song. It's, it's, it brings up great feelings, great memories. And if you, if it comes on the radio, you're just fortunate that you get to listen to, perfection for a few minutes yeah. it's amazing
0: and all the vampires walking down Mulholland I mean what does that even mean it's well, you know it's people who are zombies in the night and they're kind of you know they're night owls and all this so all the the imagery of it too is and again so Californian right I mean you live there it just it, it you know and I've been there once but it just encapsulates that whole vibe of summer especially in LA and in California I think right
1: yeah, and I think we probably should talk a minute about the video. It just occurred to mm. me how how you know ubiquitous it was like just to have this on MTV. Tom, uh, you know, was kind of a older rock artist at that point on MTV, and this video is just all like shot in a mall and yeah, and, you know, over yards in in California, and then they have this really gorgeous girl who's like a skateboarder and yeah. doing the, doing the jumps or whatever in the in the half pipe and it was one of these uh songs uh you know watching it and seeing the palm trees and stuff is one of those things that got me interested in moving to California at least visiting uh, because it does look so great. And I think that maybe is one reason why it was such a huge hit in the United States is that there are uh, there is a subsection of the country which is just fascinated with California wants to move to California. And sometimes can, sometimes can't. But yeah, you know, California really is kind of this "quote unquote" paradise, and for a lot of people, not everyone, uh, in the in the United States, and certainly from a weather standpoint, palm you know palm trees, <laughs> you know, pretty women type stuff. It, it, for a 16 year old kid like myself, it, it would turning into uh, you know some place that I definitely wanted to visit or, or maybe move to.
0: Do you think some of that comes from like culturally in the U.S. Is some of that come from you know the Depression era when people did move? They did try to move west, and they did try to get out of the dust bowl and move out west. You think sort of that that mystique or mythologized kind of part of it comes a little bit from that? It's just hangover from that, maybe.
1: Well, it's a go west, young man, is a saying. Yeah. Was a saying here. Uh, it was there. It was for a long time the place where you could go make a new life for yourself, and you know the east was in the Midwest. Were you know not full, but you know there are a lot more people there, and yeah. just making the trek west was uh, a big. Uh, thing to do but there was so much there's the gold rush of california and, and all that but then i think you know later on it's really about the weather southern california yeah. The you know maybe the glitz and the glamour it, it's just you know one of these states and i think that's what you know tom really fell in love with the state and that's why he moved out here and, and lived here um but i think this is like the first maybe overt uh you know love letter to, to the state yeah. of california for for tom and uh you know Certainly set me on my way to, to wishing I was out here. So full, uh, you
0: get free falling. You can't follow it free falling. How do you follow it free falling? Oh, you know this little this little tune I've written called "I Won't Back Down." I mean, holy shit.
1: yeah, best first two tracks on a album ever. I don't know. Uh, I would certainly argue it uh, peaked at number twelve in the Hot 100. It was the second highest charting single, number one on the Rock Chart, second most streams, uh, three hundred thirty one million. The video. Like which I didn't even I don't even know if I noticed it who was in the video yeah when it was on but you know it's Tom and Mike uh, Jeff George uh, Harrison and Ringo Starr just casually playing the drums <laughs> uh, you no know, the great backing vocals you could hear all the you could hear the Wilburys coming together um, the backing vocals are amazing on this and it's just such a anthem. Uh, which Tom sort of struggled with. He didn't know if he wanted to be so overt with the lyrics, like. Yeah. but it really speaks to a lot of people, um, and it fit, it fit his personality too. I mean, with all his record company battles and, and everything, it's just incredible that he was able to write back-to-back mega anthems to start start this album.
0: I love, though, too, that in the video, Ringo clearly has not learned the drum part. <laughs> what I love is they leave in a few places where he's filling where there is no fill, like he's just, you know, so. Have you ever seen? Um, it's a good time to bring up Ringo because we're talking about Jeff Lynn too. And apologies, there's a there's a curse word here, but it is in context, box. There's a video where Ringo's talking about Jeff Lynn because Ringo worked with Jeff Lynn as well, obviously, on, on different things. He said, Jeff Lynn, he always wants to use the click, he always use the click, he always wants to use the click. I am the fucking click, he says. <laughs> and when you've got Ringo's meter, fair enough. Um, I wanted to ask you about this one do you like the Johnny Cash version? What are your thoughts on that?
1: I do. I mean, it's very, very different. Uh, there's not a lot that Johnny Cash put out that I didn't like. He was yeah. my dad's favorite artist. So the, all the connections here between uh, Tom Petty and, and uh, Johnny Cash are very welcome uh, in my heart, but, you know, very different. Uh, yeah. I think for him, it's more of a, I mean, Johnny Cash was very had a very similar attitude in terms of just not taking any, you know, stuff from anyone. Yeah, uh, trying to keep it clean here, uh, and I think he, he and Tom sort of you know bonded over that a little bit. But yeah, I'm glad he covered it, and uh, I think it's a good version. What do you think?
0: I don't know. There's something about and I similarly. I I mean, I find Johnny Cash through my granddad. Um, the obvious rings of Ring of Fire and Jackson and some of those tracks. But I got into him when I moved here because country really wasn't a thing in the UK, and I love Johnny Cash. And like I said, for all the same reasons, I like his music, but I also like his you know, the, the 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 things that he stood for and his, his sort of positions on music. But there's just something about, I don't know, it's just, it doesn't quite land with me, this one. I don't know what it is about that. And it, 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 that's the same with a lot of those American recordings though too, where I totally get what they were doing. They're immaculately produced. I think they picked the right songs, but I just like hearing Johnny Cash sing Johnny Cash songs. I don't know. I don't know what it is.
1: Yeah, I think um, and this is one where Tom's on backing vocals, right? Yeah. that That's interesting to hear. Yeah. If, him, him singing backing <laughs> vocals and uh, Johnny Cash on lead.
0: Well, the the Heartbreakers, the house band on those records, right? Yeah. So you've got, they're covering their own song. You've got the entire band that did the song originally as the cover, as the backing band on the cover, which again, there's lots of like little first or unique things in the, in the Heartbreakers history. And I, that might be another one. I don't, I can't think of anyone offhand who has covered their own song with someone else on lead vocal.
1: That just shows you what type of band they were. I mean, they were—they did the whole backing tour yeah. with with Dylan. Um, yeah, just a, just a really good band, humble and,
0: and able to yeah, able to put their egos aside. You know, and the other thing about this song, obviously, it's been picked up by the the Florida Gators as they—I think it's what is it—the end of the third, end of
1: the third quarter between the third and fourth quarter, they yeah. play it and uh, it the entire stadium apparently sings it. Yeah, saw some video of it.
0: Eighty-eight thousand people. I mean. That's first of all, let's just not talk about how nuts it is that you've got college football's 88,000 seat the stadium with the states. That's insane to me for for high school or college football, it's mental. But what I love about that is, you know, and it's the same thing when you're in a crowd watching a gig. I'm, and you've seen this song, like you said, I'm sure dozens of times. But that I, I won't back down when it's 88,000 people singing it, it implicitly becomes we won't back down. It's that sort of unifying statement of screw you we're not putting up with this, we're going to fight, right? So it's that, it's a perfect fight anthem.
1: Yeah, but, and it's and really it, that, it's that line, uh, hey baby, there ain't no easy way out that really yeah. gets everybody singing at the same time because it's like that, hey baby is such a peak yeah, uh, Tom Petty lyric uh, vocal as, as well. So that gets everybody going.
0: And it's high enough to be really cool, but it's it's not but, quite not so too far that everyone can't sing it. So it's perfect.
1: Right? Yeah. So if you could all scream it, it sounds all right. <laughs>
0: And I'd written to you when I when I did the episode when I did the episode for this one, I said that the only other song that I can think of at this level in in, in sort of terms of you know anthemic and stadium and, and this unifying thing is We Are the Champions by Queen. It's it's the same thing where you're everyone just instinctively pulls together and everyone's going to sing this and everyone knows it. It's one of those. I think it's one of the few. But I think I would say probably more people know this one than Free Falling even at this point now we're so far removed from it because this is more anthemic in that way and it's sort of got more of a it's got more of a use beyond just being a song it's sort of this it's a rallying cry for so many people and of course we're not going to talk about the most recent version that was released because <laughs> i'm not giving any time to that meathead so uh, but it's got that it's got that transformative effect that it sort of it transcends just just the song itself i think
1: yeah i think everybody heard it except for sam smith right wasn't this the <laughs> the track yes, that he got yes. sued over, and he claimed he never, never heard the song, but you can totally yeah. hear the melody. And yeah, okay, we'll see. I
0: mean, I'm calling I BS on that, that one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you'd you'd have to actively try and avoid all popular music to have not heard this song somewhere at some point, right?
1: I would think so. Although I don't know how well it did in the UK, so maybe it wasn't played on the on the airwaves over there. I don't buy. It. He's a professional musician. He's heard that song.
0: Um, but anyway, so track three, we're moving to Love is a Long Road.
1: Yeah, so- this one, uh, you know, I love this. I love this song. Yeah, I, I listened to your podcast about it. And it's to me, it's just a, and I coming back to it, I thought this was a much bigger hit for him. I think it was played on the radio a lot where I was at. It did yeah. um, peaked at number seven on the mainstream rock chart. Uh, I don't know if it was released as a proper single because it, it shows up in a different part, other charted songs on his wiki page so it's not like part of the you know the table no uh but it got played a lot in in and around milwaukee where i grew up um only 24 of his songs charted higher so this is a fairly big hit for him it's his 27th most stream song but i think 11 million streams is pretty criminal for it yeah. um i just like the intro a lot with the keys which is unusual certainly unusual for heartbreakers it wasn't a heartbreakers album but yeah it was a de- it was a departure from that sound and then the guitar comes crashing in, and they were they were smart enough to say, "Okay, we're gonna do that later again yeah. in the song uh after this epic guitar solo at the one fifty seven mark and that leads into a repeat of that uh, Keys guitar intro again, just giving you that opener again i I love this track I think it's a I think it's a phenomenal song, nine out of ten for me
0: when that that reprise or reprise or have you pronounced that it's a it's a trope, right? Like it's a rock and roll trope. It's something you can do to sort of throw back. And that's one of the things about this song that I'd noted is there is there's quite a few rock tropes in this song, but they're not over, they're not overdone and they're so delicately balanced that they don't they don't date it. It doesn't really I mean it feels like okay, late 80s song, but the song quality is so high that like I said, I think well, I think it's probably most of this album too. It stands up. And I'd written down too, like I'd literally written in the, in the episode that I can't wondering how this one would have done if they'd released it as a single because it did receive a significant amount of airplay, but maybe that's one of those things where it's like, well, we can't release six songs off an album. It's like, you can, maybe you don't want to, but you could have done.
1: Yeah. I mean, and we'll talk about uh, the next track, which to me is not as strong of a song, but I think love is a long road is a, one of his best. And, uh, you know, for me, first three tracks of this, no, no errors at all with these three. I mean, you start with free fallen, which is, kind of an acoustic anthem ballad yeah Uh, i won't back down again maybe like a mid-tempo but just a total anthem and then you come in with a real hard hard rocker like love is a long road which got you know you mentioned the 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 production of it it stands up uh it does sound a little 80s but it doesn't sound so 80s like a lot of other music that came out you know mid to late 80s
0: well if you think about you got lucky right that's the difference between you got lucky and this is just that selection of tone on the on the synth and of course that's just there's technology and there's different sounds available but it's it's just used a little bit better and it doesn't date it quite so much or runaway trains right it it doesn't it doesn't sound 80s in the same way that those two do and it was played a lot alive like it was played you know 174 times live but it, it wasn't sort of you know only on the subsequent tour and then dropped after that it was played 91 95 or 90 through 95 97 again 2002 2003 2013 so it's a song that clearly tom and the boys liked and had no problem going back to
1: yeah i heard it a few times live and it just kind of brings up something that i thought of is how the heartbreakers at the start of this didn't like that tom was making this is his first solo record yeah they didn't understand or you know want him to be off making an album. They thought that they were making a heartbreakers album and they just yep. kind of felt a little slighted by it. And they didn't like the music at the start. Uh, you could see it in the, in the, in the documentary when they're talking about it, but then it became such a huge part of Tom's legacy and the set list and all the concerts that they're all playing on it live and looking happy enough. Uh, so yeah. um, with love is a long road, you know, I think it, I don't know if it suffered from being on this album relative because if if you're if you're playing if you're putting together a set list you're not going to put like seven songs from one album most of the time on the set list on the set list especially 15 20 years later um so you know this one you're you're so bad didn't always get played and maybe they would have gotten played more frequently if they had not been you know sharing time with i won't back down and, and free fall and running down a dream
0: yeah and we didn't talk too much about that right we didn't talk at the top about the band i mean i think benmont in particular was and howie well and stan they were kind of opposed to this and i can see that right because i think they had started sessions right they'd started you know thinking about the next album and i think a couple of songs maybe came out of or a couple of ideas came out and i think that's where waiting for tonight comes from more so than or i think that's where its origins were i believe it's a bit difficult to track that information down but yeah i mean it, again, I mean, Jeff Lynn's come in and he doesn't do things the way that anyone else does. And he, Tom's got a new friend. So when Dave Stewart came in, I'm sure it was the same. sort of. well, why are you writing with him? Why are you not write with us? But I think like we said, you know, we talked about this on the last album rap. Coming off Let Me have, uh, let me Up I've Had Enough, which came off the back of Southern Accents and everything just getting a bit frustrating and the process just wasn't good. And then that clean break away for Tom just to work with someone else and get a new perspective on how to tackle a song, how to approach things. It definitely set him up for the rest, of, for, for him and the Heartbreakers career moving forward. So I think, you know, the good that came out of it was certainly way, way, way more than the bad.
1: Yeah, I think there's certainly reason to be threatened. And there's, you know, they're sitting, doing their whatever side projects, expecting to make a Heartbreakers record. And he's off with the Wilburys. He's off with, you yeah. know, Rory Oberson on his uh, solo record, solo record, and um, now, now making his own solo record with Jeff Lynn. Um, it all paid off, I think for the band, like they all benefited from the success of this album, but I don't think at that time they were into it. Yeah. And I think it was, you know, a lot of it was the sound of it that didn't appeal to them because, you know, Tom saying that these don't sound like heartbreakers songs. Yeah. Um, and certainly you can make the case for that for a lot of them. Uh, so maybe they're not, you know, they're just like, Yeah. know why are we not involved in this maybe just felt a little bit slighted but he was you know feeling the creative juices flowing got and i I also think this is probably when in the middle of stan lynch's slow departure from the band it just seemed like you know tom and him were not getting along that great and it was easy for him just to have mike there and then with jeff and then have a session drummer and and just kind of go from there as opposed to bringing in everybody but uh, stan (laughs) Because yeah. that'd be, you know, which happened later, kind of. Which, but, um, yeah, he's
0: the only, he's the only Heartbreaker who doesn't appear on the record, right? So... so I think,
1: yeah, so that's, I think, is kind of where that was starting and that, you know, a little bit of fracture there within the original Heartbreakers. Well,
0: there's two things there, too, right? Cause I mean, like you said, Howie outright said, I don't want to play on this. Tom had played him, I can't remember which song it was, but he said, I don't want to play on this and crazy. But one thing, I wonder if that did create any tension between Mike and the rest of the band, cause, you know, of course Mike's going to be involved and they end up recording it at Mike's house you know in, in his garage the most the and Mike Campbell engineered this thing which again Jeff Lynn loved because he said he gave me exactly what I needed you know he didn't give me too much he gave me exactly what I wanted exactly what I needed and you know the control room was up in a spare bedroom and all the instruments were out in the garage and there's that great photo from the original sort of idea for the, for the cover but so I wonder if you know well Mike's involved and Mike's actually sort of co-written a couple of songs on this record what's going on um, I wonder if that. I wonder if that caused any tension. But then the other thing I was thinking too about is, you think about this period generally. It's not just full moon fever. It's into the great wide open too, because that sounds more like full moon fever than it does like the heartbreakers as well. And that's where such so, and you've got the Wilburys, and you like you said you've got your Roy Orbison, and you've got Handle with Care, and everything else. And George, so it doesn't sound like the heartbreakers. So you can see why Stan, I think, felt well. This is I don't I want to play rock and roll drums, and this is starting to stray into this weird pop stuff. Now, if he'd only stuck around a little bit longer, they end up getting back there. But I I do, I can totally see why it's a conflict with his, his style and his persona.
1: Yeah. And I, it, as I mentioned, it it did work out for everybody, for most everybody, <laughs> uh, for the remainder. But I think for, at that point, they were all just sort of, they were very honest in the documentary about just how they felt at the time. But yeah. obviously it was a huge monster hit and helped their all their careers in terms of touring.
0: Absolutely. And so we, we come off Love is a Long Road which we just talked about. And you said that you, one of your favorite songs, and again, I love the song. I went the opposite way. So I kind of said, I think a face in the crowd is the one off this album where I think it's a bit, a bit of a forgotten song. It's almost like a deep cut, even though it was released as a single, because you never hear this on the radio. If they're going to play something off full moon fever, it's going to be one of the big three, right? It's not going to be this one. Um, And I like the, it's this break in, in tone, in tempo, we get the minor key thing. It's very, it's quite sad, mournful. Um, but again, it's sort of, a, it's such a masterclass in how you arrange a song. There's no fat on it. it. It's, I can't remember how long it's, it's one of the longer songs on the album, I think. Comes in at, well, 3.58, yeah. So it's almost four minutes, but it doesn't drag. You don't feel like, you're like oh, come on, let's go somewhere else. It's just got, it's just beautifully paced. And I think the video is great too, because Tom looks cool in that video, man. It just looks, it just looks like the surfer, Californian surfer, cool dude, I think.
1: Yeah, this is a, I like this song more now. I appreciate it more now than I did when I was 16. Yeah. Listening to this album over and over again. I thought it was fine. Um, I think they could have put, I would have put something else here to keep the momentum going in that side A. I would have had this as a side uh, B track. I think it'd been a really good one there. Uh, Peaked at 46 on the Hot 100, number five on the rock chart. It was the 17th biggest hit by chart performance for Tom. So it was a fairly big hit for him. Um, I think there are some, if you listen closely, there are some wildflowers signals here in yeah, terms 100%. of the, maybe the sadness or just kind of uh, melancholy side of it. The lyrics are a little melancholy. Uh, obviously, the tempo is a little slower than the, the usual stuff. Uh, the guitar after he sings uh, out in the street and the lyrics is just terrific. Um, I just I just think that I would have put this on the second side. And I they did play it, which was an interesting choice. I believe they played it they had uh on david letterman uh when this album was coming out and they chose to play this instead yeah. of falling or i won't back down or, or running down a dream and just kind of melt the faces of the so they, they i think they did really like the song at the time and still do um but you know given those other choices it was a little odd that they decided to go with face in the crowd as the oh here we're gonna promote our album with this track
0: well i i suspect the I don't know what I'd have to look at the dates and the sort of the sequencing of that, but I'll I'd be willing to bet that because this was what this was the third or fourth fourth single, right? So I'm I'm guessing that I won't back down, running down a dream, free falling have all been out and received fairly significant airplay before they went on Letterman. So I'm guessing that it's okay. We've got this new single. Let's play this one to show that we've got this different, this different angle. That would be my guess.
1: Yeah, February 1990 it was the fourth. So it'll be interesting to see the date on that uh, yeah. appearance. We shall, we
0: shall do some investigating and report back. Yes, both. we will. But I do like, too, that there's a little story in um, Conversation with Tom Petty where he talks about um, a Mexican flight attendant who kind of excitedly came over to him on a plane and, and said he's using almost all his English. said, oh, yes, Tom Petty, a face in the crowd, a face in the crowd. So, <laughs> so there you go. I mean, it lands with the Mexicans. It's, it's, it's big in the Mexican market.
1: Apparently. Uh, you never know. Uh, I... I like it, um, and I like it more now than I did. Yeah. Then I just think it's, it's a little bit of a, and maybe you sometimes need this, uh, kind of downshifting in the middle of that first, uh, first side. Uh, yeah. I'll I'll tell you what I would have put there uh, later on in our producer of the day.
0: Okay, so we're gonna close outside one with another absolute behemoth of a track, running down a dream, and this one for me is it's all about. It's about that descending guitar riff and it's about that solo at the end. And we're going to talk about that solo at the end because one of the all-time great. I mean, put it up there with Stairway and you know, bull rap and all those. It's it's up there for me, just in its genius and its simplicity and its brilliance. Um thoughts on running down a dream, John?
1: Yeah, what a what a guitar riff. Mike yeah, Mike Campbell, fantastic, uh live uh this is the this is the this is the song that got us down in the front row of the fortieth anniversary. Uh, tour. My son, who was nine at the time, uh, was dancing in the aisle, and uh, everybody around us thought he was the coolest. Yeah. Person in the audience, <laughs> and the, uh, the the security called us down and, and put us in the front row for the for the encore, which was really cool. And then he got a copy of the set list after uh, after after the show, and he was a guitarist at the time and loved playing this little. Yeah. He he loves playing that. Uh, can play it a lot better now that he's 15. Um, but what a, you know, memorable uh, guitar on this. And it peaked at 23 on the Hot 100, number one on the rock chart. Uh, of his 10 number one songs on the rock chart, three came off of Full Moon Fever, which I thought was really interesting. And I think it's uh, the
0: fir- it was the first three yeah. singles all hit number one. And then the other two hit number five on the rock chart, right? I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, at, at this as this is happening, you wonder now what the rest of the Heartbreakers thought about their think about the music and think about well it's it's popular uh it's the third most streamed song 226 million uh although the the listeners tend to favor the best of everything version since it doesn't have that uh little snippet hello cd listeners oh yeah that's gotta Uh, be there come on uh people i guess like to put this on, on on their playlist and not have that Snippet there. I like hearing him say that. Uh, brings back a lot of memories. It's such a great track. Uh, ultimate driving song, uh, descending guitar riff, as we mentioned, underrated acoustic guitars during the chorus, which I think was probably a Jefflin addition. I don't, yeah. you know, a lot of rock didn't have that going on. And then this mega Mike Campbell solo at the end, like, it yeah. doesn't get any better than that.
0: But lo- and the opening riff, too, I love that that was because, you know, everyone sort of said this is a very Mike Campbell song but tom said in in conversation with tom petty that that's really what what mike had he just had that little descending riff and like honestly pretty much anyone can play that play that on guitar because it's an open e so you're really just on the second string playing a or on on the top string playing three notes and then pulling off very very simple but tom says that he was that mike had written that in a completely different time signature it was sort of a syncopated slower time signature so mike tom but tom loved it Said, so I was just sitting around playing and playing with it and trying it in different ways. And then he played it one night for Jeff Lynn and Jeff Lynn said, Oh, that's good. That might be one of those last riffs left. So again, it's that thing of, you just need someone else's ear sometimes to say, you should definitely do something with that. Right.
1: Yeah. And Tom and Mike, another example of how well they work together. And for Mike, it's lack of ego. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. think for Tom as well, but for Mike, especially such a great guitarist does not have the ego that we know of. Certainly. Uh, just seems humble and loved working with Tom and they worked so well together. I think partly for that reason.
0: I just want to find, cause I, what I love about that, we should, you know, we'll talk about the solo right away, because again, it, <laughs> what I love when, um, when Tom's selling Paul's all about it, he says that, you know, it, Mike's sitting there, not, I mean, he's barely moving. It's like a statue and he's playing this, this solo and it's one take. And it's the first take. And he says, Jeff Lynne kind of looks back over his shoulder, and I'm like, "Are you? Is, is this really happening? Like, is this guy playing this right now?" So I just couldn't believe it. And wouldn't you love to hear? Because it obviously it fades out. Wouldn't you love to hear the rest of it, just to see how much he played? Because maybe maybe he dropped a clam right where they faded it out, and say, "Oh," and he just bossed it up. But they sort of think, "Oh, well, we'll just fade it out there, and that'll be great." So
1: amazing. Like this, Mike Campbell at his very best. That's yeah, one of the reasons why he's my favorite. guitarist out there and i think he's so underrated well and
0: well and that's a i had an interesting conversation with uh janet lovell um who i spoke to in season four or five whatever and she said she doesn't like that word and i kind of i knew what she was saying but mike campbell certainly isn't underrated amongst guitarists if you ask guitarists whether mike campbell's a good guitarist they'll all of course he is one of the best and has played with everyone but in the mainstream like you never see him on lists of you know, right. Rolling Stone or a Billboarder, which is frustrating because just because he wasn't uh, he wasn't Steve Vine, he wasn't doing this all the time, right? But listen to this solo, listen to how this solo is composed. It's got everything in it. It's got string bends, it's got hammer ons and pull offs, it's got triplets, it's got everything that a really good guitarist could And it's also immaculately timed and the meter's perfect. It's like that's, that's a one off. So to sit and just imagine just the three of them too, sitting in Mike Campbell's garage, and maybe Bugs was around because he did some assistant engineering, but. Just, I would have loved to be a fly on the wall in that in that session. Would have been amazing because I can imagine two Mike going, "What do you think? Like, what do we think? That's the solo. That's the end of the song." Because wasn't I? Wasn't the other thing that Tom, the song wasn't meant to be this long. Because again, this is the longest track off Full Moon Fever, and it clocks in at um four twenty three, where most of the songs of this album are really lean. But how do you how do you cut this off earlier? You've got to let that whole thing go, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, magic and a. Or lightning in a bottle, you can't you can't put the genie back in the in the bottle? I'm mixing my <laughs> metaphors, but you just you have something that's great. You just put it on the album. Yeah. It's not that hard.
0: <laughs> okay, and yeah, so the interstitial that ends the hello CD listeners. And of course, Del Shannon is referenced, name checked in the song. And it's Del Shannon, apparently, who does all the barnyard noises, that, which is weird um, in that little section, which again, like, so me and my daughter go play pool every week, once a week on Fridays usually. And we usually take over the jukebox because the music in the pool hall is terrible. So we load up the jukebox with, you know, either Tom Petty or Aerosmith or Queen or the Beatles or whatever. So when we put this on, I always love it because the song fades out And then there's that little sort of three, four second gap. And then this comes in and you can see people in the pool hall going like, look at What
1: the hell is this?
0: (laughs) And it always makes me like, I love it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think this was the first, uh, you know, you look at these first few songs and if I was really getting into Tom Petty at this time, which I was, um, how much exposure do I have to his sense of humor at this point? I think this was it. Like he is a very witty has a dry Quirky sense of humor, and this was a great evidence of it. I was like, "Oh, I like this guy. He's like, he's got a little, little comedy to him, to yeah. his game."
0: Well, it's that thing that I love. I always, it's it's, it's, a, it's a thing I think everyone should live by: is take what you do seriously, never take yourself seriously. And Tom had that in abundance.
1: And, um, I, and I don't know, I don't know what prompted it, to. Like, I, he's probably sitting there. Well, we have the CD, we have album sides, and he's like, "Well, let's just put something at the end here to yeah. uh, for the CD people." And, just, you know, in, fa- in fairness to those yeah, this, listening this... to record orcas <laughs> to stand up or sit down <laughs> and turn over the, the record orc tape uh, I
0: mean, it's like this whole set this whole period in his life though, was, again was so loose right because even yeah. the way they recorded all the songs we haven't talked about that all the songs in this album were for the most part let's write them and try and record them as, in as close to a day as we can let's not overthink it let's get in there and it you know it shows and obviously there's like i said there's lots of overdubs and there's bits of production that go on afterwards but the main bones of a lot of these songs were just let's let's get them done as quickly as we can but not in the same way that let me up was so the the looseness and the sort of the the joy of doing it and the fun definitely comes through so it's
1: funny that we did an intermission this first intermission (laughs) and it happened it happened between side a and side b
0: (laughs) perfect well kick off side b feel a whole lot better and it's not I'll feel a whole lot better, which is the original title of the birds version, but feel a whole lot better. What are your thoughts on this one?
1: It probably changed over the years. When I first heard it, I didn't realize that it was a cover. I wasn't familiar with the birds at that yep. point. And I did end up, once I realized this, I was like, oh, they got a good sound. And I went out and bought the, the birds' greatest hits. I had that for a long time. Uh, it's a faithful cover, I would say. Um, and you can see how uh, birds in general and this bird's track sort of puts its stamp on the entire album. I think this was maybe an inspiration for the sound of the album that, you know, Tom wanted to to write at this point and put out. Yeah. Because uh, it definitely that California type sound, acoustic sound. And, um, you know, I like the track a lot as I was listening to it. I don't, you know, as I said, I don't, I don't think I was aware that it was a cover. And it's not one where you see some of these B-sides and you're like, okay, well, maybe some of these other tracks should have been on it. And this would be... One of the first ones to go, if if we had to cut it, and um, I think it is a pretty good opener for the second side, though. It's got a, you know, yeah. a good rhythm to it, and get to get into side two. And there's there's seven songs on side two, which I think is kind of incredible.
0: <laughs> a lot of content. I mean, it's such a faithful cover, though. That's and that's where my hesitation about it goes, because usually, if someone's going to cover a song, and and Petty did this with um, "Asshole," and he did it with "Change the Locks," so he he put his own spin on it. And it became a Tom Petty song. With this one, it sounds like Tom Petty and Jeff Lynn performing a Bird song. Very, very, very faithful. I mean, note for note almost, right? Apart from there's a couple of some, there's a little bit of percussion in there that I noticed that isn't on the original, which I just don't know if I need that from Tom Petty. Right? Like I'd rather have more Tom Petty songs always. I'd rather have always originals than covers on an album. And of course, the Heartbreakers, we've talked about lots of, one of the best cover bands of all time, if not the best. Um, and they did it live quite a few times. But on the album, you know, but then again, I did give it a, I did rate it as a seven because how do you fault this song? It's a, it's a bloody brilliant cover. The playing on it's superb. The production on it's great. Tom sounds good singing it. The harmonies are great. But I just, if I'm going to pick, like you said, if I'm going to drop a song from this album, this might be one of the ones that I've dropped.
1: And it makes, it makes you wonder if this was one of the tracks that sort of came out of the, uh, notion that they needed to fill out the album and that you know they only had eight seven or eight songs and needed to uh get some more you know just to sort of have a full lp uh because it does sort of feel like maybe oh okay we'll do a birds cover and you know this one sounds good and we'll just put it on there because it does fit acoustically and just sonically with the rest of the album in yeah. terms of the sound i mean you could totally see how it might be you know part of the inspiration for the album
0: well, I think that's what Tom said, right? They had nine, or like you said, eight or nine songs and the record company said, no, you need more. And I, I, I would be willing to bet all my a whole month's wages that had the record company not come back and said that or if they'd finished some of the other songs that this probably wouldn't have even been considered. But I think the other thing maybe is that because the Full Moon Fever sessions were interrupted by the Wilburys sessions, well, you've got Jeff and they're doing a lot of those five-part harmonies and, and, and vocals and things. So I think that maybe... Maybe this is a song that you know the Wilburys were just jamming around, and Tom and Jeff thought, "Well, there we go. We that one's pretty much built to go. We know we can do it, and we can probably do it really quickly. So let's just do it, and we'll put it, on. we'll maybe we'll leave it there. And if we don't come up with anything else, then we've got some a safety in the bank, right? And it ends up it ends up on the album. But like I said, it is a good side two opener.
1: Yeah, solid track. Uh, yeah. Fits. Um, I, you know the next track, you're so bad. If you don't mind moving on, did not chart in the top. 100 hot 100 number five on the on the rock chart to me this is pretty clearly the fourth or fifth best song on the album okay. so i would move i would move this to side a in place of face in the crowd and i think it would have done better as a single if it'd be you know if it would have been released a little bit earlier in the single cycle it was after facing the crowd as the whatever the fifth single yeah last single off the album so such great lyrics. Here's more sense of, you know, a big sense of humor. Yeah. Tom's sense of humor, you know, coming out in a big way. is what I mean to say. And I just love the the catchy, but not me, baby. I've got you to save me right into the chorus of you're so bad. Best thing I ever had in a yeah. world. God, man, you're so bad. And the, the, just spelling your Y E R. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and the drums coming up and a little breakdown towards the end as the chorus repeats. And I think my, and maybe you can defend yourself here. You brought up the the feel feel a whole lot better score, which was a seven out of 10. Okay. Which is fine. I don't, no problem with that score, but how do you give this an eight? It's only one point better (laughs) than feel a whole lot better. No, this to me is a nine, easy nine uh, easiest nine I could possibly give.
0: You know what? I I don't really have a defense for that. John, I can't, I can't tell you why I only gave it an eight. I'm not sure. Um, I got nothing. I, I don't know. I'd have to go back and I'd have to go back and read what I wrote. And try and make some sort of sense of yeah, because if I'm, yeah, only one point better. No, it's not. It's it's a much much better song. Yeah, no, you got your right. bank to rise. Well, we'll add it to the redemption episode that we're going to record. So yeah,
1: <laughs> I love to nitpick your your scores. I just do it once yeah. or twice a, an album rap episode, but that was when I was like, oh, <laughs> you gave us an eight. Like this is easy, easy nine. Yeah, I don't easy know peasy. Why.
0: Well, it's got again, it's it's got that it's got that turn of phrase that Tom Petty had that very few other people like you know dylan definitely has it but there's very few other people who would have come up with my sister's ex-husband can't get no love in walks around dog-faced and hurt what the hell i've never heard that expression before i'm sure people use it somewhere but it's brilliant
1: it's probably a southern term i I hadn't heard it but i you know once you hear it you're like oh i know what he means by that yeah oh, totally yeah this is a really when you think about it a very interesting love song in terms of how he's Telling you, you know, in the chorus, he's talking about how he's got this, you know, the subject of this song, yeah. uh, even calling her bad. In you know, a world, God, man, you're so bad, but he he's saying that she's great. Yeah. Um, but just contrasting it with these horrible relationships in the, yeah, you know, in the verses. Uh, I'm not sure I had heard that before. Like telling a story about failed marriage, another, you know, the ex husband can't get no loving. Uh. And then, and then going into, but not me, I yeah, got you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I just think it's really clever. The song. I, that's why I think it's kind of a sleeper as well because yeah. of, you know, it didn't chart that high. It was played some on the radio. He played it on the 40th anniversary tour, which was great to see yeah. that because one of my favorites. Um, but I think he liked this track a lot. It was the second one, I believe, or one of the first two t- songs that were written for this uh, album along with uh, uh, Free Fallen, I believe. I think it's
0: the first one because I think it was this one when they were all just hanging out, George and Jeff and and a bunch of other people and Tom and he played this for Jeff Lynn and said, hey, do you want to produce this? I think it was just kind of an off-the-cuff kind of thing and Jeff said, sure, where are we going to do it? Well, well, let's do it at Mike's house. You know, and that sort of ev- that natural evolution. So I think it was the first song. And again, I mean, it's such a black comedy song. Like, it's a really like, those two verses are really mean. Like, you got you know, the he's really ragging on his sister. Like he's, she doesn't come out of this looking very good, and then her ex-husband at the end is going to end up committing suicide. Like that's, but in this really bouncy, jangly kind of song, like then it interspersed with those choruses. So yeah, a brilliant bit of lyric writing.
1: Yeah, twenty-nine million uh, streams, more than uh, about eleven thousand or eleven million more than a face in the crowd. Uh, yeah. It's definitely a fan favorite. When this gets yeah. played, I think the the crowd really gets pumped up.
0: I think it is one, and yeah, again, it was a single, but it's a deep cut that people, Tom. I'm, can you imagine a Tom Petty, like a hardcore Tom Petty fan who doesn't like this song? I would be amazed.
1: Unless they were, you know, maybe the subject or married a yuppie, and now there's a swinger <laughs> dating a singer. <laughs> maybe they felt attacked. That's the only way I could see it.
0: Okay, well, we move on to Depending on You. Um, I was amazed when I did the episode. that I, c- I couldn't believe ne- they never played this live it's one of two songs on the album they'd never played live the other one i can see why they didn't play live this one that really surprised me even not even once on a you know on sort of a later tour or something but it's got this one's got a very 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 handle with care vibe to it obviously you know the intro riff is it's almost it's not the same but it's very very close and it feels like a Wilbury song to me you know
1: i think but- we're in the midst here like you know track seven which is you're so bad through 11 this is a really strong set of tracks that were not really yeah unless you know released as single singles really that much or you know played that much uh live except for you're so bad I guess um just this is what makes I think this album so great is that it's really strong on the second side as well um depending on you as a sleeper uh it was Tom, talked about it in the, Zolo, in the Zolo book. And he's like, and the, the immediate response to this, you know, bringing up depending on you, is he's just talking about how great sounding it was and how great sounding magical was the word he used. The sound was on the album. He's like, I just don't, he, he just didn't feel like he could necessarily, he was fortunate to be a part of this and having it happen all at that time. He wasn't always yeah. sure that he was going to be able to recapture the sound of, of the album. And that was kind of just all these acoustic guitars and amazing backing <laughs> vocals uh, and great production that, um it just makes it a it's a good one it's a it's a catchy song sing along yeah. with it uh i don't know what would you give this one i gave this one a
0: seven only because it's sort of it's just a really really good album track but it's not it doesn't have that x factor that let's say running down a dream or Free fallen has right but but that you give up so easily that chorus line with the mel- with the harmony is just so beautiful as that lean that bridge into the chorus um and one thing that so what one of my guests ivan anderson who's a musician out of new york I'd said about listen to a heart. He called it a little song and he wasn't being dismissive. What he meant was it's not a grand idea and it's not, it's, it's just a really like a small, compact, tight song. And I put this one in that same bracket. Like it's really, really get in, get out. It's kind of like the Beatles and the birds and the beach boys. It's a really nice, tight, lean pop song. And I love it. I love this song because for me, it was one that I kind of rediscovered a little bit because I don't listen to this one a lot or I didn't before I did this, the episode for it. And now it's on my playlist again, because i it's just so much fun.
1: Yeah, one of these uh, side two side B gems that we sort of rediscover as we do these these podcasts, right? I mean, th- this is what these are the types of tracks that make albums ten out of ten. Yeah, 100%. Like, you have to be really solid, really good album tracks. I probably would go with an eight out of ten for it if uh the bird song feel a whole lot better as a seven and you're so bad's a nine. But this I'm not I'm not the one scoring this stuff. I just pick <laughs> you know, pick your your scoring. But this is a, this is a great, this is a great. Tom Petty's song, just not a huge popular favorite with the, you know, on the radio or with fans necessarily.
0: Okay, we'll talk about popular with the fans. Again, you, and you said another album track coming up next, which was written before the album and it was sort of repurposed or so the apartment song. I did give this one a nine because for me, again, this is just, if I'm going to pick a deep cut, of Tom Petty to give to someone, and I did this with the Petty Eight. This is the song from this album that I gave to someone who's never heard Tom Petty, and I'm trying to stay away from the hits. I gave him this one to show a different side. It's a rock, it's a country slash rock and roll song that doesn't sound again like really anything else they did.
1: Was this from the which sessions? Was it the Southern, Southern accents? accents? Yeah. So how does it not make Southern accents? I think Trailer didn't make Southern accents. Oh, like they just, I guess they went from a concept album to uh, to whatever the hodgepodge album that was uh one one word john one
0: word cocaine (laughs) that's that's a lot to answer for
1: uh you know i love the demo with stevie because their voices sound so great together but he did say that he always envisioned this as a solo track like a one person singing so um i guess i understand that thing i love the tempo change you know the another great chorus uh, oh yeah, I'm all right. I just feel a little lonely tonight. I'm okay yeah. most of the time. I just feel a little lonely tonight. <laughs> I mean, if you're not singing along with that when this is playing, there might be something wrong with you. I <laughs> this is a great one. Uh, another great side B, like this is a great sequence here as well. Like they yeah. They put this together really nicely and it's it's really seven through eleven, man. Really strong tracks.
0: I love too like you said, the lyric though, I'm okay most of the time. I just feel a little it's it's that sort of Eh, things could be worse you know things could be better definitely but they could be worse I'm all right I'm okay I like that sort of middle ground because songs usually tend to go one way or the other right where I'm very happy or I'm very sad you don't really hear songs about yeah I'm okay I'm all right
1: well you know how often do they say okay in a song like it's it's a nuance like I love nuance too so it's not like you mentioned it's not like oh I'm so in love with you everything's great or I'm totally torn up and everything's horrible (laughs) it's I'm okay most of the time I just feel a little lonely tonight
0: when, you know, I used to live in a two-room apartment. Neighbors knocking on my wall, ta, 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 and you get the drums come in, and again, this song again gets elevated. And I love the original version too. No, we will talk about the original version a little bit, but um, this version is just made by that Buddy Holly, you know, the Peggy Sue uh, paradiddles, the the drumbeat in the middle, because you're not expecting it. That comes yes. from nowhere, and it's just like, oh, that's so good. It's such a good lift to go. That was that the, in the, middle.
1: The, the, the tempo change I was yeah. referring to. Like it, it's it's a great track. Um, I, I'm a little torn about the Stevie thing because I just love hearing them together. But yeah, I think that the the way they made this sound like the, the rest of the album, because it does the, the original demo doesn't sound a whole lot like this version well, in my opinion. And so that's
0: and going back and when you look at this, there's it's not sort of explicitly stated, but I don't think that there was a, a an original version. Because uh George Draculius, who helped produce playback plays um drums on the playback version now he definitely wasn't around during the southern accent sessions uh, so okay. and so... mike campbell plays bass on it as well so i'm guessing that it was okay we've got the good guitars and we've got uh, tom and stevie singing it but we don't have anything else let's fill it in and sort of make it sound like it would have sounded it had we done it so that's my that, guess on that so
1: that makes sense because he did the same thing with you come through with lenny kravitz added yep. the parts after the fact in order to release it on on playback that makes sense
0: Okay, next song is the album Closer. Oh, no, sorry. It's not the album Closer, is it? But it's all right for now, which should be the album, the album Closer. closer.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the Good Night so, would have been great at the end of the album. Like This is, this is uh, Tom and Mike, uh, just Jeff's away. Uh, they're finger-picking live together, the guitars. Yeah. It's so good. Um, it might have been a little bit of Blessing in Disguise that Jeff wasn't around, because he might have added some, added some stuff to this one, but it, it yeah. needs to be a, a, just a stripped-down ballad.
0: And it was written for Anakin when she was about six or seven, which Dana Petty had posted on Tom Petty Nation last year. And it seems like Tom confirmed that in conversation with uh, Paul Zolo. He says, yeah, says, <laughs> says, how is it? Uh, Mike and I did it. We did it live, just the two of us playing together. And it's that thing of, you know, uh, just the two of us by the Beatles, it's got that same kind of thing where Lennon and McCartney just sat down facing each other playing guitars. And you can imagine them, you know, Tom and Mike doing that same thing in the garage late one night after everyone's gone to bed and just picking this beautiful, simple little melody, just a gorgeous song.
1: I love the, I love the lyric about uh, the baby or the child for furrowing their brow. Like that's a, yeah. Paints a, a picture of, you know, somebody, a kid trying to sleep or a baby trying to sleep. And they got that look on their face and they are just yeah. don't, furrow, don't furrow your brow.
0: Yeah. Well, it's it's that thing like anyone who is a father, you know exactly what this song is. You know what I mean? It really, and that's where it really, it really sort of connects and strikes you that all all you can see, all you can see when you look at your kid when they're a baby is your heart outside your chest. It's that thing of like, one day they're gonna go up and leave, but right now, like, yeah, don't don't cry, don't don't for bro. Like it's everything's all right for now. But it's that thing too, that switch where everything's all right, but then you get this a little bit of darkness comes in for now. Like it might not always be okay. Something might happen, but it's, it's all right for now. So let's, let's live with that and live in the moment and be peaceful with it being all right for now. Very, very, again, just a very, very clever lyric. And I sometimes wonder whether we read too much into those things. And we sort of attribute some of these, some of this depth after the fact, but Tom was so good at it that you think, well, I don't know. He's consistent with that, so I'm pretty sure he meant it. So
1: yeah, this is another one where it's not they're not so high or so low. Everything's all right for now. It's like this middle of yeah. the road type. We're, we're 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 getting through it. And I don't I do know that they closed at least one concert with it and maybe more. I, I didn't do a lot of research, but I know there's a, uh, a live version of it where he's saying thank you so much. You know, I just want to you know it's been wonderful playing for you. And at the end of the song, or whatever. And it would be he normally. Or they normally would end on, you know, American Girl or Running Down a Dream or something like that with a high, high energy and leave everybody just like faces melted. But sometimes they went the other way and, you know, played something like this at the end of their shows.
0: I think it was the Fillmore, right? Because I think it's on the box set where they they finish with All Right for Now. And then they have that little spoken interlude. I'm just going to look on the set list. Yeah. So they do. (laughs) Okay. So it was the last. It was the last date of the run when they did 40 songs. And that's the song that they, that they closed it out with, which what a great little code to that run too. Right.
1: And I would say that it's probably easier or they probably think it's easier to get away with that at the Fillmore after 40 songs because everybody's tired (laughs) and they're okay getting out of there at that point, (laughs) uh, as opposed to, you know, having to end on a real high, high, high note.
0: Absolutely. So, okay. We move into another song that sort of, you know, part of the Tom Petty, Canon that the hardcore fans love for a very specific sort of line in this song, a mind with a heart of its own. One of the, one of the funnest lyrics he wrote, I think again, on a, on an album, that's got a ton of them.
1: Yeah. And this is a big tempo change. When you listen to this after all right for now, which is maybe a little jarring, uh, you know, I wouldn't put this after all right for now I'd put yeah. all right for now last, but um, I, I, you know, this is another really, really strong side two track. I love the repeating, like bluesy, Bo Diddley, but it's acoustic yeah. uh, guitar on this. Really good. It's a sing-along song. It's really catchy. Great backing vocals. Um, and I, I think my favorite part is the, ad, the line at the end, uh, apparently. <laughs> and I, I thought it was so funny at the time. And I'm like, he just made, and then you find out he just made this up on the spot. <laughs> well, I've been to Brooker. I've been to Mikinobi. I've been to St. Louis too. I've been all around the world. I've been over to your house. You've been over sometimes to my house. I've slept in your treehouse. My middle name is Earl. <laughs> and he goes, and he's like, Oh, it just landed perfectly. And my middle name is Earl. So.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it when you read that. It's like, it, it surprised and delighted him that he came up with it. Oh, that's yeah. just, just the right name, too. So, yeah. What And I said what I'd commented on the episode that what cracks me up about it is he's kind of bragging, right? It's, it's, oh, well, I've been to Brooker and I've been to Micanopy and I've been to St. Louis, too. I've been all around the world. Look, Brooker and Micanopy are within driving like within cycling distance of where you grew up dude and they're both like 300 and 600 population towns why are you bragging about this it's so funny you know
1: yeah hey, but he's been in st louis too <laughs>
0: which is what that's 200 <laughs> 200 <000? laughs> you know. oh crack me up and i mean you know my middle name is earl it's just it's pet- part of petty folklore you know and i did so i, yeah. I think on, on my merch store i did um there's a t-shirt on there you know the mine um my name is earl the tv show so I've got that logo with the little thing above it, the correction, like the, the English teacher correction with middle. So my middle name is early in there. So that's it. You know, Anybody who's listening, if you want a bit of merch, there you go, that's an option.
1: Yeah, um, Just the I would just say that the guitar really gets this off of to a good one, like dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Yeah, it just I mean, carries it throughout. Yeah, it's,
0: it's the Bo Diddley Beat, and the, the, there's a reason why the Bo Diddley Beat is used all throughout rock and roll, including yeah. the drum beat on American Girl, right? Is That's exactly what that is. It's a slightly modified, but it's the same beat. So, I don't know, re- revisiting it, and it's a nice little uh, nice little loop back around, but we got one more song to talk about, and it's a song that no, I would think it's safe to say that not everyone in the petty head sort of world loves, and Tom certainly didn't love it. So, Zombie Zoo, where do you land on Zombie Zoo? Uh,
1: I have mixed feelings on it now, because I know Tom wasn't crazy about it, so for yeah. some reason, I it's colored my opinion of it, but I think at the time, listening to it, I liked it. I turned on before before we recorded i wanted to listen to the second half of the original sequencing and it came on and i was singing along with it yeah. uh and i think it is i think it does fit on the album because there is a lot of like references to la and you know the zombies you know walking around and all that type of stuff um so i think sonically it does fit lyrically it does fit tom called it nonsense though he said that uh, jeff really campaigned for it uh it is pretty catchy Uh, i think it's a testament to you know how easy at the time and how much the creative juices were flowing for tom that he's got this track which you know might have been a middle of the road track on the previous album in terms of song quality but now is like one of these ones that he kind of wishes he hadn't released yeah um uh, did they ever play it live
0: nope never played live and that's
1: not surprising
0: (laughs) So what I, and I wanted to talk to you about this and see what you think because I'd, I'd written on the when I did the episode, I'd said that there's something about this one that it's the only one on the album that if I was going to say the one that doesn't fit for a reason and a very specific reason, this is it. It's because it, this sounds a bit more like a Jeff Lynne song than a Tom Petty song to me. This where it's where that sort of that balance just tips that way because everything else on the album is is tips Tom Petty way but sounds you know, a bit like Jeff Lynne, where this one sounds more... Like, if you listen to ALO at all, this sounds more like something Jeff Lynne would do than than Tom Petty would do. So that's my only sort of... Or my main critique of it. And other than that, yeah, it's a fun, bouncy, throwaway song that you can hum, but structurally, it's just a bit... I just find this one a wee bit average.
1: It, interestingly, from a streaming standpoint, it has 6.7, 6.8 million streams, which is more than... <laughs> a mind with, with a heart of its own, uh, more than all right for now, more than depending on you, and more than feel a whole lot better. So from a fan standpoint or from a listening standpoint, they put it considerably higher yeah. than maybe we would.
0: Here's my theory on that. I have okay. a theory. I always got theories, right? I think that if, you, if you're if you not a like a huge Tom Petty fan and you, you go to find free falling, you're on Spotify, I think I'll go and scroll through and you look at the album if you're scrolling through and you don't know any of these songs, the title zombie zoo is going to make you think, Oh maybe that's weird. I, I, that might be fun. I'll put that on. That's my theory on that. So it's not necessarily that people love it. It's just people think what the hell is this? So-
1: yeah, Usually the, like the people put on the, the, the you know, first song and then the, like the, the, if he, if he, if they're just album tracks, like the, the streams just kind of decline as the album goes on. So it's interesting to see it at number 12 with that many streams compared to all these other tracks we've been talking about.
0: Okay, we've got some outtakes in this session too, though.
1: We we do.
0: I went through them. We're going to get into this again with our producer for the day. I think they're both solid album tracks, um, but I don't think there's sort of a. I don't think there is a standard. I don't think any of either of them are stronger than, let's say, depending on you, Department Song or a Mind Without of Its Own. So when I get into my producer for the day, and I kind of did a bit of a curveball on you on this one, I want to talk about that a little bit. But waiting for tonight. So it's a minor key tone. And it's got um, a very famous girl band at the time on backing vocals,
1: The Bangles. Which the Bangles. Cool. Uh, I think this is a really strong song, and it did well commercially, peaked at six in Mainstream Rock Chart, number one in alt- Adult Alternative Airplay when it was released after the fact. Uh, and, you know, the genesis for the song, I think we were discussing it, alluded to it earlier, we're not exactly sure, you know where it came from it was the same session as traveling it looked okay. like the same credits the same credits on the on the on discog but it's just tom and mike with draculius on the drums and i think maybe this is another situation where draculius added the drums after the fact perhaps right uh, maybe or yeah. for for playback um and then the bangles on backup vocals so it wasn't the heartbreakers playing they have no right. credits on this as far as i can tell um, so I do consider it a full moon fever session track, and I think it's, you know, better than to me the the birds cover. Uh, it's better to me than um, Zombie Zoo for sure. So I would I would certainly add
0: it. Okay. But yeah, that's interesting because when you do look at playback at the liner notes, from nobody's children. So traveling's a 1988 outtake from an aborted Heartbreakers album. Is how that's listed, right? And then waiting for tonight is from 1988 sessions. So again. I'm thinking that this it could have been, you know, Mike and Tom, or or I always Tom uh, solo co- uh, credits, but it could have been from those same sessions where it was maybe this was one that was intended for the Heartbreakers, Um and I don't know how the Bangles came to be involved in. It. I'm not sure. I, I, have you do you know? You ever come across anything? And Tom talking about how it? they
1: came in? I have no idea. He just yeah. said that they came in. They were all talking at once. Uh, he yeah. was trying to figure out like, cause he's very, you know, slower drawl, and like very easygoing, but they were all yeah. hyper talking over each other. And he was trying to figure out who, well, who was saying what, and when asked <laughs> a question, he was getting three different answers. Uh, but he said they did a good job on the backing vocals. And I think, I think acoustically it does yeah fit on the album if you look i mean it's very much acoustic guitar and then i think the backing vocals fit with what they were doing with jeff and, and tom uh throughout the album
0: do you think it, like if you think about if you were going to put because you'd put it on side b you wouldn't be putting this one on side a right but if you've got because i think later on we talk about if you moved a face in the crowd on there do you need another minor key song that's my only and like we'll get into this more in, in our produce for the day thing but that's where i sort of think yeah i don't know i don't know if it does exactly fit um but again, yeah, the bangles back and volts are fantastic. Cause those girls can sing, man. Their their debut album. I don't know if you ever listened to that album. It's fantastic. That's a great record. And I'll tell you this, you know, I'm a 50 year old man now, but when I was an 18 year old boy, Susanna Hoffs. Oh yeah. my Lord. I well, than have done anything kind for of of that woman. <laughs> um, don't treat me like a stranger. That's
1: the yeah. B side, B side to, I won't back down. Yeah. Uh, it looks like only Tom and Mike uh, of the Heartbreakers played on this one as well. Jeff Lynn produced it. So this was definitely part of this *Foolin' fe- uh, fever sessions. I do think the jangly acoustic guitars fit well again. Um, I don't think this is a fantastic must have song. I-, I think Waiting for Tonight's better.
0: Okay. Uh,
1: but I think Don't Treat Me Like a Stranger is pretty good. And I think I would add it, if we're adding a couple and taking away a couple, I think it's you know the last one that would make the cut for me um i do like it I, it was nice to hear it sort of after the fact because it's any any of these full moon fever sort of b-sides it's great to hear because it, it, it sounds yeah. so good and, and and the writing's so good
0: and but it, again and it is to me it is a b-side and i think that but i also think that zombie zoo is probably a b-side so again let's get straight into it then let's go into because i mean I, I don't know you you're not considering traveling as one of the full moon fever session outtakes now, yeah right? traveling I, I didn't
1: it's a heartbreakers played on that one. Uh, he yeah. said in the book, it was the only heartbreakers track during these sessions. Uh, and then I, there was also down the line, which has horns in it. And I believe it's from the same era and I don't know what it was meant for, but it was a B side for, uh, a for some falling. of these. Yeah. I think it was actually multiple, it was B side yeah. for multiple di- different versions uh, international versions of different singles. Uh, but I don't, I didn't include it cause I just don't think it fits. Okay. Yeah. So no, those are the other two. So let's, let's, you know, let's talk about which, which uh, you sent me a couple of sequences. Which one did you decide to pick?
0: I went with my abbreviated one. Okay. Just just to provide a little bit of contrast to what you did, because I think it'll make the conversation a little bit more interesting. So what I did was I, I I'll run through very quickly my complete one that I sent you. So I'd gone with um a left side one as is free falling, won't back down. Love is a long road, facing the crowd, running down a dream. That was my side A. My side A, at B, I went with a mind with the heart of its own because I think that's another very good side opener. Waiting for tonight, you're so bad the apartment song. Don't treat me like a stranger depending on you all right for now. But I want to throw this at the listeners. If you think about this, if you go side one, free falling, I won't back down, love is a long road, the apartment song, running down a dream. Then side two, a facing the crowd, a mind with a heart of its own, you're so bad, Depending on you, all right for now. That is a tight, tight album.
1: I'm looking at it now. This is the abridged version.
0: Yeah. So there's there's trimmed I mean, trim to
1: ten songs.
0: There is no and it's a short album. It's 33 minutes. So it's more like, you know, the first couple of albums. It's tight, man. There's no fat on the on on that record at all.
1: And are you opening side two with Facing the Crowd?
0: Yeah. I kind of like I don't mind putting that. I was, I was toying with either that or Mind with a Heart of Its Own because I did that on my full version but i kind of like the idea of opening with a slower song and it being sort of you know because you get a bit of respite then from running down a dream has just melted your face a face in the crowd then just eases you back into side two and i think from there on it picks up so
1: yeah i'll have to i'll have to listen to this sequence some more i didn't know which one you picked so i didn't i wasn't digging into either either one of them but um you cut the two songs that we were probably a little lukewarm on the birds cover and zombie zoo yeah uh so as you mentioned no fat whatsoever i do love the uh, all right for now as the album closer i think you're so bad is just getting buried and i, I would prefer that to be maybe where apartment song is but apartment songs okay. a great song as well i think you favor apartment song over you're so bad so it makes sense that you perhaps did that but I, yeah, yeah I, this don't is know, a, I
0: don't know if i do you know I'm like i said i mean i think i rated you're so bad too low and i think those two songs would be completely interchangeable i here's what i thought is side two i think i think it Balances it a little bit better i think if you put you're so you're so bad on side a an apartment song on side b i think it i think side a is just off strong. the chart and i think it's a little bit imbalanced and i think this way it provides just that little bit more balance that's my only um, sort of rationale for it
1: i like it i mean it's 10 great songs yeah so <laughs> not a whole lot to nitpick there <laughs> do you want me to give you mine
0: yeah let's talk about it
1: all right so i i just a little bit of backstory. I had Mary Jane's last dance on this and we, we needed to talk about that. <laughs> so there was there was a track called Indiana Girl that was worked on during these sessions, but we don't know if it was necessarily worked on during the Heartbreakers portion or we don't know if it was worked on during the Jeff Lynn sessions or whatnot. But yes, the Heartbreakers ended up coming together, finishing that for The Greatest Hits. <laughs> I did have a sequence where I had it right after running down a dream to open side B and it sounded so good after the little snippet about him doing the hello CD listeners and cutting right. out from the far noises. And then all of a sudden you go into Mary Jane's last dance, but really any song sounds pretty good after that. <laughs> um, so what I, I decided I I conceded to your mockery, uh, you know, of me and tw- over <laughs> Twitter DM and I took it off and I <laughs> will just leave that on the greatest hits. And we'll talk about the great, you know, the ideal greatest hits sequencing when we get to that. But yeah. I, so I start with the same, first three, uh, free fall. And I won't back down loves a long road. I think that's perfect. And then for me, a face in the crowd, uh, goes to side two and I put uh, you're so bad at four. I think that's where it belongs. Um, and then I have apartment song at five and then running down a dream. And then you get the, I don't know if that lengthwise, I think I did add it up and that worked out, but maybe I have to double check that waiting for tonight, opening side B with Don't Treat Me Like a Stranger right after that. And then Facing the Crowd is sort of a side side B, you know, a little break in the action there. And then Finishing with a Mind for with a Heart of Its Own, depending on you. So two up-tempo up ones, and then Closing with All, all Right for Now uh, as your pensive, quiet lullaby as you listen to this before you go to bed.
0: And I did give your, I gave this a listen when you sent it to me, and I listened to it again this morning. It's a fantastic sequence. I think honestly, this is probably the best one you've done. This or my favorite of all the ones we, that we've done. I think this is the best one you've come up with. Um, and you do come in; it, you can vinyl it. So I'm always the vinyl nerd. I know that you're not yeah, yeah. a vinyl guy. I'm the vinyl. Nerd. So I check the times, and you, you're in time. So you've got you're un, you're just under on side one, um, and you're well under on side two. So yeah, the what was because I've written a couple of notes here. Um, going from "Don't treat me like a stranger" to "A face in the crowd" is really cool because, like you said, that drop. Back Off in Tempo is great. And, man, You're So Bad, the Apartment song together as a two. I was like, oh, I think maybe I should have done that because that sounds really, really good. But I still don't know whether I would have put them both on side one. But very, very cool, man. It's a great it's a great sequence.
1: Yeah, I'm looking at the side A, Free Falling, I Won't Back Down, Love Is a Long Road, You're So Bad, Apartment song, Run Down a Dream, maybe the greatest side A.
0: Of any record ever. ever. <laughs> hum-
1: humbly, humbly <laughs> speaking. <laughs> greatest side A ever.
0: Oh, Jeff Lynn and Tom Petty, what do they know about sequencing records? <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> maybe they need they just need a 16 year old john or 15 year old john to, to come <laughs> in and decide what what goes where
0: yeah and we're gonna of course we're gonna share these with everyone so you can have a listen um I, yeah going back i think i picked my abbreviated playlist and your more comprehensive follow-on and I, and I don't feel bad about taking off the two songs Did now feel a whole lot better like i said i think would have been a brilliant b-side you've got it there. I'm going to put that as a B-side because it would be such a wonderful, oh man, cool, they did a bird song. Um, and then Zombies Who I think would be one of those weird like you know, Park Breakers Beach Party or one of those tracks where you think, oh, that's a fun bit of silliness, but I don't yeah. necessarily need it on the album. So, fantastic. Fantastic track listening, dude. Um, hats off to you. You are yeah, the I'm king of to... playlists after all.
1: Well, I'm going to listen to your version. I think it, it's going to be a nice 10 song. Really nice 10 song. Uh, it's so quick. <laughs> yeah. Get in, get out. Leave them wanting more, right? Yeah,
0: But that's what this album does, though, too, right? And we talk about that because this album, like you said, it's 12 songs, but it clocks in at just under 40 minutes. Right. So there's a lot of different ideas going on here. And, and again, I just love that it's the Jeff Lynne thing. Let's make this as concise and as tight as possible. Let's not waste any space. Um, write for the song. you know. Don't, don't put a, a guitar solo in where you don't need one unless Mike Campbell just writes one of the best guitar solos of all time. Then we'll leave that one in. But it's just such a fantastic album. And one that, again, I think it's one that when I got back into Petty and started really listening to him, it's one that I sort of, I think I almost put it to one side and thought, well, I don't need to listen to that one really because I know that one. I need to listen to Let Me Up, I've Had Enough. I need to listen to, you know, um, You're, uh, You're going to Get It. I need to listen to the Echo. I need to listen to these albums more that I don't know. So getting back into this one, listening to it again, when you come back to it, it's like, dear God, this is just, how do you improve it? really I mean apart from you know we, so we've we got our preferences but to improve this as an album is, is damn near impossible
1: yeah I mean I think my first inclination and I was going to actually ask you how you first heard Full Moon Fever and where it stood within your you know sequencing of how you yeah. got into Petty but when we first were talking about doing a producer for a day I was like oh I can't I can't change this this is perfection <laughs> but then I was like I totally understand like all the OGs that are out there that are upset with us i'm just i don't know if i'm, I'm just making that up but people are like why well, just leave the albums alone you know they're they're yeah. fine the way they were i'm like okay well i'll do it i got if i'm gonna cut up you know dan the torpedoes or hard promises or whatever i'm gonna have to do it for full moon fever as well see if i can improve upon it but where yeah. where was full moon fever in your like you said you already knew the album so where did you, how much did you know about tom petty prior to hearing full moon fever
0: nothing at all. I thought, I mean, in my mind, this was Tom Petty, right? Like I, I the, okay. f- the free falling guy. And I remember, cause when I was in the military, I joined the military at 16 years old. And when we go on our little breaks, the sort of the cafeteria thing, MTV was always on. This was always, uh, free falling was always playing. And I think probably I uh, run down a dream. I think I'd heard as well. And um, so I went to the, the 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 store that we had on, on, on the base and I, I remember buying the cassette. So I definitely had full moon fever on cassette. So You know, and I wouldn't, as we both know, growing up, you didn't have unlimited money and we didn't have streaming. So if you only had 50 tapes, that's what you tended to listen to mostly, right? So I listened to this this album a lot. And I don't know, I probably listened to Side 1 much more than Side 2, if I'm honest, because back then, you know, I wasn't a deep Tom Petty fan. So this is, I think, where he sort of really kind of entered my consciousness. And then again, like I said, The Wilburys was my... Most likely my very first entry point because my dad was a huge Harrison fan. I was a huge Beatles fan and dad had sort of said, well, listen to this. So I think that's when I first heard Tom's voice, but didn't associate it with him. So Full Moon Fever was, yeah, it was, it's the first album that I heard of Tom Petty, for sure.
1: Interesting. Because that would, but in my it wasn't my entry point. I knew about Refugee and American yeah. Girl and Breakdown and stuff. stuff. You know, I had to pack up the Plantation Live disc, I think, before... Full Moon Fever, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Um. But th- just because it had a lot of the greatest hits on it and stuff that I was hearing on the radio at the time, but Full Moon Fever may be a diehard fan. But it's interesting you said that about Harrison because I think there was a bit where he was like, I didn't really write with McCartney and Lennon, or he referred to them as my old band. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> but he really loved sitting and 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 writing with Tom and Jeff and you know Roy Orbison and Bob Dylan. You know for those for those records and where they're actually sitting around and face-to-face, like, working on stuff where he really didn't get to do that a whole lot with uh, McCartney and Lennon.
0: Well, even those, look at, I can't remember, which, again, I think it was Zombie Zoo, actually, where um, Olivia Harrison had said that even though George would never admit it, I think he really missed the band dynamic. I think that's one of the things that really drew him to working with Tom and Jeff and Bob and, and, and Roy is, is that idea where you've got a band again because he, you know, because George famously, after an initial tour for his first album, and the concert of Bangladesh, he never really played live. He just didn't play live gigs because he didn't like the hassle of it. And he didn't really have a band. So he did his solo records and he brought other people in to collaborate with, but he wasn't out playing. So of course, when you do get to be able to sit down with, and especially, you know, again, he was in a band with two other pretty phenomenal songwriters. He's in a band again with four guys who can pull their weight. He's not, you know, it's, it's not all on his shoulders and just fun. And again, I, I, every now and again, every six months, or so I go back and watch that little 23-minute Wilbury's documentary, and you can just tell though they don't give a they don't give a damn whether they actually sell any of these records, whether anyone listens. They're just having absolute blast doing them. And one song a day, they did. They yeah. wrote and recorded one song a day. It's insane, you know.
1: And they were just uh, all very successful already. Didn't need the money, and just were doing this as a side project. And it, you know, turned out really great for all of them. I think.
0: Um. So. One thing we try to do, or if I remember, we've, we try to do usually, uh, John, uh, is do an EP. Now, this is a criminal, horrible, difficult, nay, nay impossible thing to do, but a three song EP from Full Moon Fever. I just don't know how you can go any other route than free falling, running down a dream. I won't back down. I, I just, I don't, like, I couldn't leave any of those three off, even though I love the apartment song, even though I love. You're so bad and depending on you and a Mom with the Heart of its own, I could argue for any of those as a deep cut. But which of those three would you take off to put something else on some quirky little thing? You know?
1: Oh, I didn't think we were doing this because it's a sacrilege. Uh, but <laughs> if you if you we usually combine our our songs, whatever we pick, right? So yeah. if you're picking those three, then I'm gonna cheat. <laughs> and I'm gonna pick love is a long road, uh, you're so bad. Oh this is even tough to pick six
0: <laughs> because
1: now I'm looking at apartment song and all right for now. And I'm like, uh, it's like Sophie's choice. Yep. So this is going to be a seven song EP <laughs> with the apartment song and all right for now as the, I'm going to use my oh, one, my get a jail free card. We're going to have a seven song EP for this one.
0: I mean, is that an EP? <laughs>
1: I don't know. It is. If we say it is.
0: <laughs> Sold, done and dusted. I'm happy with that. <laughs> okay, well, that's Full Moon Fever, folks. It's a little bit longer, but you know, we had to talk a long time about this album because it's so good. And I think we owed it to the album and to Tom and Jeff and Mike uh, to do it justice. But until we meet again next week, keep listening to and sharing Tom's music. Try to be kind. Try to say, I love you to someone at least once a day. Stay safe and healthy. And I'll be back with you next week to talk about the first song from Into the Great Wide Open learning to fly. Bye-bye.